Welcome to the Project Fitness Podcast for fitness professionals and fitness enthusiasts who want to be better at life. Fitness is the greatest investment of anyone's life. However, it's not easily obtained, and anyone who says different is just plain wrong. Join award-winning personal trainer and strength conditioning coach Chris Fudge every Monday as he explores all aspects of fitness that can lead you to your optimal health. If you want to learn useful, practical how-tos of weight loss, exercise science, nutrition, or just how to optimize your time in the gym and life, this show is for you. Hello, fitness people. Just sat down with Jordan Shallow, the muscle doc, and we talked about fitness. We talked about his involvement in it, how he got into it, where he's from, what he did once he got into it, what he's doing now, Prescript and all their educational courses and what they're offering. And we did all of this as he was sitting in a chair where only world record holders sit in, in the sport of powerlifting. We also talked some powerlifting and how traveling, teaching, running seminars and competing, and how he went through that. We also talked about how he almost became a WWE wrestler. So it was a pretty cool little chat. It was just under an hour long. Um, so sit back, crank the volume, get the kids out of the room, and enjoy. Cool. Welcome to another episode of Project Fitness Podcast. And today we have another special guest. Today our guest is a strength conditioning coach, um, a power lifter, the founder of Prescript.com, host of RX Radio Podcast, where talking smack meets talking fact. And even though the guy kind of looks like he should be in prison, he's probably overqualified to run a prison. <laughs> Winter's finest, the muscle doc, Jordan Shallow. Jordan, welcome. That was a hell of an intro, man. I, gotta, I like that. Uh, I, I think I could be good, like suited for Shawshank. I think I'd have real, real reps there in uh, Shawshank prison. And I think Windsor just gives you that title out of the gate. I think everyone's like ready for prison warden when they graduate from high school in Windsor. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like, a, like, like part of the course. You're good to go on. Mm. Yeah, it's, when you get your grade 10, you're ready to be a prison warden. I love it. Well, thanks for taking the time to sit down today. I, I just got to start off by, by going through. I've done some research. I got to know where you went to school. And the reason right. being is I looked online and I look for different types of doctors. Like there's a doctor in like philosophy, you can get your doctorate in BA, you get your doctorate in education. It's called like a, like a DED, like you're dead. You can get your dead. Right. But you are a muscle doc. Right. Yes. So, you know, like, I'm just wondering, <laughs> Mexico for that? What are the qualifications? You got to be 100 kilos plus. Yeah, 100. Uh, School of Hard Knocks is, uh, is pretty much, you know, I'm a grad of School of Hard Knocks. No, I, uh, I went to chiropractic college at uh, uh, Palmer West. So Palmer West uh, College of Chiropractic in San Jose, California. Uh, so Palmer is one of like, or Palmer West is one of three Palmer schools in the state. So there's one in Davenport, Iowa is like the flagship. And then there's one in, I think, Port Orange, Florida. Uh, so yeah, I went to school out there. I, and unfortunately, I was the, the only self-appointed muscle doc that graduated in the 135th class of Palmer West. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that was born of the Instagram handle world. Uh, yeah, so I, I think they're one and done. I don't know if they're giving those titles out anymore. 
Well, doing um, doing a U.S. Uh, university degree or doctor degree in the U.S., but you are Canadian, and I know that you are up on the border of Detroit. I've got some family up in uh, Windsor, actually, in Chatham-Kent. So um, the Ivory Rose is one of my favorite motels to stay in. Oh, buddy. Um, but you, you're, you're from Newfoundland originally. Correct, yeah. Uh, all my family is out there. Um, my mom and dad are currently in Windsor, but I was born in St. John's. Uh, so I spent very little time there, like actually growing up as a kid, but we were back and forth like, geez, three or four times a year from the time I was two to the time I was 17. So yeah, all aunts, uncles, cousins, everyone sort of spread out across the island. So we try and we try and get back. There. I, have, I have some property in Newfoundland as well. So try and get back there as often as I can. I love Newfoundland. I mean, I was there in last September. I was supposed to go for a family trip this summer. I'm from the East Coast as well. So Newfoundland's always a hot spot for me. Um, COVID shutting a few things down, though. Yeah, you're, are you New Brunswick? Yeah, New Brunswick. I grew up half in New Brunswick, half in Prince Edward Island. Right. Yeah, so I mean, I've been, yeah, the Maritimes is where I'm from. So when I when I heard you were from The Rock, I'm like, ah, yes, bye. That makes sense. Yeah, different yeah. wave-like out there, man. Um, but I, I want to get into... Um, you do a lot of really good things. I think that um, your, your impact on the industry is, uh, is growing, you know, over the last few years. And I think that when your time is done, you know, we all have our time. And when your time is done, people can say, man, that guy did some really good stuff. And one of the things that I find very unique about you is you, you are a strength and conditioning coach, but you're Cairo first. It's not too often you see the Cairos then go into the athletics. So I'm just kind of wondering, what was that tra- transaction, transaction? Like, how did you go from being like Cairo, you're working Cairo, and they're like, you know what, I want to do athletes, strength conditioning coaching, like, that's my deal. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was always an athlete first. I think that helped. Like, chiropractic college was just a way to get people to listen to me. Um, and then it was really just, it was really just for the title. And obviously, the knowledge helped. Um, I started in, like, strength conditioning. I did some internships in Toronto at the, uh, at the OTC, or the Olympic Training Center. Uh, so chiropractic college was really just a stepping stone, kind of just get my get my foot in the door, get a little bit more like uh, credibility behind my name and open some doors for me that way. And then sort of Trojan horse those doors into like opening up some new opportunities. So I knew I wasn't earmarked for like the, you know, the 30 hour a week, 200 patient load. It just wasn't really my style. So figured, you know, differentiation is you know, a big part of any business really. So, you know, if I was just another meathead chiropractor with a, with a decent deadlift or a meathead strength coach with a decent deadlift, I wasn't bringing much to the table that wasn't already out there. Um, but so if I figured if I came in with a clinical background that might give me an upper hand in some situations. Um, so yeah, that was really the goal from the, from the jump was to just kind of leverage that, that status and differentiate myself because as S and C, being a part of like a team sport or, or being a part of a sports in general was always kind of my focus. Uh, you know, I figured out at a pretty young age, I wasn't going to make it to the NHL, but I'm like, you know, I can get my, I can get my name on a Stanley cup come hell or high water if I could do it in like a, a strength conditioning realm. So um, that's kind of been the pursuit ever since graduation was like, get out of standard clinical practice and get back to where, to where it matters to me. And that's like in the weight room or, or on the field of play. And, and with your strength conditioning now, like what sports are you involved with? You're working as an individual coach, not a team coach, correct? That's right. Yeah. Concierge has kind of been just for my preferred lifestyle and sanity. Like I was a team strength conditioning coach at Stanford University for the men's and women's rugby team. 
um, which was a great opportunity. Like working with student athletes is a really different dynamic. Um, but then I, I kind of got into like concierge kind of Cairo strength coach role um, with some NFL players. So when I was working uh, in San Jose, I got connected with obviously the guys at Stanford, but also San Jose State, San Jose State University and uh, uh, San Francisco State University. So we had a few athletes there who would go for like pro days and combine and they made the league and I stayed in touch with them and ended up working with them preparing for um, like preparing for their first season and then in their second off season and the word sort of spread. So primarily now I work with, um, excuse me, with NFL players being back in Toronto has afforded me the opportunity to work with some NHL players as well. And hockey kind of being my first love, that's always pretty cool. But yeah, I think just eh, there's a certain comfort level with NFL guys when their strength coaches looks like they might be able to line up next to them on the line of scrimmage. So I've kind of been pigeonholed, which is weird because I never played a down of football in my life. Um, but I think having a background with rugby SNC mixed with just kind of what I like to do and how I like to train, um, it's been somewhat of like a smoother transition, but a learning curve for sure. The NFL is a, is a crazy league. Who's um, What type of athletes are tougher, NHL or NFL? Uh, it's, you know what, it, it doesn't matter the sport. I think it just matters the individual. Like, you know, I, I know the toughest athletes I've ever come across on the standard are probably mid-distance runners, <laughs> uh, which no one ever thinks, right? And then some of the biggest prima donnas I've ever met, none of the guys I work with, thank God, I've been able to self-select for some pretty hard-nosed dudes, but uh, some of the hardest or some of the softest people I've met have been NFL players, right, or baseball players. So it, it really is not specific to the sport or, or even a particular gender. I mean, it's, I know female golfers that you would want to meet in the back alley, like they fuck you up. So, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good question because a lot of times it's not the people you think that are like the real tough sons of bitches. Have you ever, um, ever worked with wrestlers? Uh, okay. So at the, like the wrestler, as far as the Olympic, the very classic, you know, yeah, um, not wearing like tassels or anything like legit singlet wrestlers. Oh no. Um, my, one of my mentors in undergrad was the strength coach for the Canadian Olympic wrestling team. His name is Trevor Cottrell. Um, so I worked peripherally with him while I was in school, but I was just loading plates, but I actually had the opportunity to work with a handful of like WWE or as I would know it growing up, WWF wrestlers, which was like super interesting because like they have their athleticism is through the roof and like they're, their like variability in the tasks they have to perform and their performance schedule is probably one of the more intense pro sports schedules that you can, that you can have. Um, but no, yeah, no to like the conventional wrestling, but yes to like the WWE, you know, finish them from the top ropes wrestling. Yeah. It's funny. Like I was a big wrestling fan as a kid uh, myself and every now and then you hear someone be like, it's fake. It's not real stuff. Like I don't think people would say that to Brock Lesnar's face. Right. Like, like there's guys you just would never say that to. No. Yeah. And it's like, you see John Cena, he's like 50 years old. He's an absolute unit. Like he's squatting, like front squatting 600 pounds. He's like 10% body fat. Like he's an athlete. You watch him move around. Like they, they move almost like gymnasts. Like, like their ability, their spatial awareness, their athleticism is like something to be marveled. And the fact that they do it seemingly 365 days a year is, is pretty wild. Yeah, I don't know if you heard recently, uh, The Undertaker was on the Joe Rogan podcast. 
Was he? Yeah, it was, it was put out last week and he went, it was like a two hour episode and he went through how he got into the sport. Essentially, he wrestled without a rotator cuff for like two years. Like, uh, I just tore it so bad and said, I'll deal with it later. By the time they went in, they're like, yeah, it was barely available. Like we couldn't even re there was nothing to reattach. So they split a different rotator cuff and, and gave it two attachment points. And he's like, I had to start like tombstoning with my other arm afterwards. Like, like that's just the, the, the toughness of the guys, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, at a certain point, like whether the chairs are real, the ladders are real, you're still falling from like 15, 20 feet. It's uh, it, it is for nothing else of pure entertainment value if you can look at it. And, because they get away with a lot, actually, because they call it entertainment and not a sport. Mm-hmm. So they can skirt a lot of like laws about it, which is a, if, if people are, are like not, caught up in some of like the vernacular surrounded with the sport it is actually pretty wild the way it's a big top circus tent man like they're absolutely freaks in like the most complimentary way possible mm-hmm. so what do you mean they can they can skew some of the laws like what do you mean they can get away with oh like you don't have to pay them like normal people because it's just a numbers game like they you know i as oddly enough it's funny i was in venice my first summer of chiropractic college so I went down to Venice before coming home, like Venice, California. I've always wanted to go, never went. So I just took like a little week trip by myself. And uh, it was, no, it wasn't, it wouldn't have been the summer. Yeah, it, I was supposed it was going into the spring because the, the reason this is pertinent is because I shaved a mohawk in my head. Like um, like my hairstyle was in a, that of a mohawk because Vancouver was going to the playoffs and they were playing San Jose in which the town I was living at the time. So I was like, okay, got to show some team spirit shaved a mohawk i went down to venice and i started training at gold and then midway through my workout i got approached uh by chris bell so i don't know if you know mark and chris so chris did like bigger faster stronger uh their brother uh since passed was in the wwf or wwe and he came up to me and asked me if i was a professional wrestler and i was like nah dude i'm some like 22 year old kid who goes to chiropractic college i'm just trying to like support the team in the playoffs he goes oh well you should consider it like you got the look. I was wearing some dumb cutoff plaid shirt or something like that. And the next thing you know, I'm in Vegas, like sitting a meeting with this guy named Canyon Cayman, who's like the head talent director of the WWE. And then I was, oh yeah, I was like, this was my, I think it was two quarters into chiropractic college. So six months into chiropractic college. And like, I'm getting propositioned to contract to move to Orlando and like basically do a year tryout. And, but it's like, dude, they're going to pay me $25,000 for a year to live in Orlando and get chairs broken over my head. I was like, I could only imagine what my mother would say if I called them. Them to get that for free in Windsor. Right. Yeah. And I'm going to like bankroll my student loans, fly to Florida, live in some studio apartment, get the shit kicked out of me for a living. But yeah, it's, they're, uh, it is. I mean, it's like any sport, really. When you re- when you start to look into it, it really just becomes like a principle of large numbers. It's like if you don't do it, we'll find someone who will. Yeah, the Undertaker was really big on that. He was telling his story that it's pretty much like who's next, right? If, if, and if you get injured and you don't perform, you're out. Next person's in. Yeah. Not like it's, most a, bi- it's a business, man. And professional sports is a lot like that. And it's it's a it's a side of it that it's a pressure that you don't see unless you work with people one-on-one. Like, you know, you don't realize that these kids are 22, 23 years old and they're getting offered millions of dollars 
but I mean the the joke in the NFL is it's it stands for not for long, right? That's not that's that's what the NFL stands for. So it's tough, man. Like it's 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 tough to know that there's some guy willing to do whatever it takes to to take your spot. But as a consequence, they they turn out a really good product. Like everyone steps up and shows up because if not, they're gonna step out and they're gonna be they're gonna be given the boot and they're out on their ass. It's uh it's a cold world, man. And when money's involved, it's you're really dispensable. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, when you're working with uh, uh like pro athletes, been doing that for a while, and then all of a sudden prescript comes up. So how did prescript start? You guys are running multiple courses now. Um, working for Good Life Fitness, you you, you jumped into that market in the last year or so. Um, so how did prescript prescript kind of come to be? Right. Uh, so Jordan and I, my my co-founder Jordan Junta, we went to Cairo school together, and we were always kind of like we were the meatheads and like meatheads in the class. So Jordan um, started competing in CrossFit when he moved to California and became really really good. Like he would go to West Coast regionals. Um, he did like Wadapalooza on the NorCal CrossFit team. He actually has like a conventional wrestling background, so he's like a really good athlete. And we were the type that would like skip class and go train or like you know, be late for exams because we were eating, like dumb shit like that. And I remember like specifically, there's this one Cairo that uh, taught us. He was one of our like clinicians when we started like going out and treating real people. His name was Ty Pence. And Ty used to tell us that when he was graduated school, he would meet up with his uh, buddy who was also graduated. And the way they told the story, they, they were very like affluent and nothing against them. But like, you know, there's like, yeah, after we graduated, me and Pedersen, this other guy, that guy he graduated with would go out on his boat every week and just talk about life and business. I'm like, all right, that sounds super douchey. Um, but I definitely like it because I don't have a fucking boat. And I got a ton of debt, but I like the idea of like trying to figure it out with someone else. So I remember graduating and Jordan and I, like we were like, we, we bonded through like just loving training more than anyone else that we went through the program with. But truth be told, I almost got into a fight with a kid in our class in the second quarter he was like this, he was named Shane Walton. He was a super, like, he was a great guy, but he was just too drunk one night and I'm kind of a prude. So we were playing pool at a bar. He ended up like dumping his beer on me and I took exception to that. And he got in my face and like, lo and behold, our, our entire class, which is about like at the time was about 30 or 40 people. All the guys in the class sort of split of like, so I looked behind me and there was, I don't know, there was maybe 10 of my closest friends in the class. And I looked across the bar at him and there was 10 of his closest friends and we were all just ready to go. And on the other side of the bar was Jinta. So Jinta was like on the other team ready. Like I would have fought Shane and then the other guys would have fought each other. But uh, when we graduated, a lot of people left the California Bay area because it was so expensive. So Jinta was like hanging around and we were running similar practices where I started with my practice at a boss barbell club. And he started his out of a CrossFit gym called Sundown CrossFit. It was the, the gym he kind of competed for. Um, so we were running very similar models. We were kind of in similar-ish, but not down the street from each other locations. I was in Mountain View and he was in Santa Clara. And every week we would just kind of hang out and be like, how do we figure this shit out? Like they didn't teach us anything as far as business goes. So whether it was note-taking software, whether it was scheduling software. And then, you know, we quickly kind of like got our legs under us or got our feet under us rather. And, um, we just started to look at like how we could kind of scale different revenue streams. And he actually, at the time he had started his pursuit on Instagram. Um, I don't want to say earlier, but he hit the ground running. And I remember within two weeks, Jenta had 10,000 followers on his uh, functional Cairo account. 
I was like, holy shit, man, that's crazy. And it'd be something that I've been pursuing during school, just trying to grow somewhat of a following to which to market to. And then we kind of came up with this idea of like, all right, we're going to start, like, what do we see in the office the most often? And working with barbell athletes, the two of us, it was kind of like shoulder issues or things that stem from the shoulder, things that stem from the hips and things that stem from the spine. So it's like, what if we just kind of did like somewhat of like a factor analysis across all of these conditions and came up with like our common collective exercise principle program and start there. Cause a lot of people at the time would message us over Instagram, like, Hey, I have, um, you know, I have uh, knee pain or elbow pain or shoulder pain or hip pain or whatever, whatever. At the time we really had nothing to monetize. So we're like, what if we put together like templatized four week progression to help improve the function of like shoulder, hip and spine. Um, so that was kind of like the inception of Prescript. And then, in knowing that, okay, we're going to turn this into a, like an online business. We actually started the podcast RX radio six months before we released our first program to kind of build an audience and things like that. So leveraging the social media onto the podcast and kind of gaining a following that way. Um, so from there, it went from three programs, kind of shoulder, hip and spine. So like it was lower body reset, upper body reset and midline strength. And then we branched into two other programs. And then I started getting asked to do a lot of seminars with my powerlifting, I'll air quote career. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, you could get a laugh out of that. Um, so as I started into, into competitive powerlifting after, after graduating, there was an interest for my approach in biomechanics and lifting and, like, you know, let's call it injury risk management. So when I would travel internationally to compete, you know, to offset the cost of flying over because I wasn't making any money doing it. They're like, oh, could you host a seminar here and there and here, whatever, and you'll you'll make up the money that way. I was like, yeah, sure, sounds good. So the third meet I did was in Melbourne, Australia. It was the Arnold Classic um, Pro Raw, and I did three, I did three seminars that trip, and then I went back the following year and had been doing seminars periodically in between, and then I went from three in the one March to nine in the next March. Uh, and, and so I was kind of getting my feet wet with doing seminars and then Prescript sort of started to take on more of like an education role as we stopped getting, not stopped, but we started getting a lot of interest from coaches and clinicians about the principles in the programs that we were selling. Like, you know, we were getting, we were getting really good results and we had some really interesting testimonials of people who were like, had been consulted for surgery or, you know, had been doing rehab for years. And, um, so we started getting people reaching out, like the physical therapists of these people who are just taking a last ditch effort on how to improve their, their function or decrease their pain. Like, how the hell did you do this? And that's when we we're like, okay, there might be a market here for creating somewhat of a meta impact. Right. So coming above going, not going anymore to like, you know, a, a conventional B to C model, but rather going business to business and, and being able to educate trainers and coaches. And then from there, I remember one day, it was one day, it was probably two and a half years ago, that I noticed two people following me and I kind of remembered their names or recognized their names. One was Eric and one was Brody. So I was <laughs> like, oh, that's weird because I worked for Good Life for years as a kid growing up in Windsor. And I kind of knew these names, Brody Thorne and Eric. Fuck, how many last names does he have? I can't anymore with this. All of them, every last name, Smith. Let's call him Eric Smith because that's probably in there in the hyphen. And then that sparked a conversation. And I was writing a book just out of my own 
I don't know, I was bored. So I was writing a book and as they reached out to me about a potential course, I was doing one in Ottawa with uh, some friends, actually, uh, Jane Eyre and Paul O'Neill. And they're like, hey, uh, would you want to come out and do something? We have a lot of powerlifters interested. And a lot of the powerlifters in the Ottawa scene were happen to work at Good Life and uh, sparked a lot of interest. And that interest made its way to the higher ups. And they're like, why is everyone asking for continuing education for what this dude is doing? And they're like, wait a minute. Like, we know this guy. We have a file on this guy. He was an employee for this company for however many years. And <laughs> Yeah, right. No, and the weird part was, and this is really kind of serendipitous, for whatever reason, Steph Dupuy and Michelle Caldwell, who are like higher, higher ups in good life, they were based out of my club in Windsor. I was, I was based out of their club, whatever. And uh, I remember I was lifting with my training partner and he was my personal trainer turned best friend and training partner for years, Luke Bernaches. And we were above a Dollarama in Tecumseh Mall. And Luke was like squatting in a Smith machine or something that you do when you're a kid. And he's a strong dude. So he had like, I don't know, he maybe had 495 or the equivalent of 495 on the Smith machine. So, yeah. And he went to go tap it in and it didn't go in. And he just decided he was over with the set. So 500 ish pounds comes crashing down. I don't think there was a single piece of merchandise left on the shelves in Dollarama. And I remember Caldwell and Steph Dupuy, like two of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, just come stomping out of the back office. And I'm like, oh, fuck. And like, they didn't even say anything. I think Steph Dupuy kind of like when she like stopped twitching was like, is everyone okay? And I was like, yes. Is it was funny. Mom okay? Yeah. Oh, I'm so disappointed. Steph was so disappointed. And then it was hilarious. It's 10 years later, like having to email her and speak like, hi, Steph, you probably don't remember me because I was a member ambassador who was constantly fucking shit up. But yeah, I'd like to teach your entire company about how to lift weights now. Hello. <laughs> it's like, it was an interesting full circle. And I think from there, I did some stuff with, um, I know he's been on the podcast, Ben Pakulski. Um, we did, um, we did the, we did like a handful of seminars we called muscle camps, which are three day intensives all over the world. Uh, and then I did that kind of, uh, in line with the good life seminars we were doing. And really from there, well, actually, and I got another contract with a gym called ultimate performance to do a similar education model internally for that company, which is international. Um, and we started to just garner a lot of interest in what we were doing kind of exclusively in these private settings for these, these larger gym franchises. Uh, and then I thought it beneficial to bring something that was sort of a collective stream of consciousness of kind of the ethos and the way we look at mechanics and training and periodization and programming and all that stuff. So I started to then offer the prescript level one was like our first course we put up online. I just remember I had this idea. I was, where was I? I was like in Hawaii or something. And I just kind of like, okay, just one day I said, I'm going to do it. And I put it up on the website and we have um, an operations manager who was like, what the hell is on the website? And I was like, it's fine. She's like, what is it? I'm like, I don't know. We'll figure it out. But it starts in three weeks. And she's like, what are you thinking? Like, no, we can't do this. I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. She's like, do you have the curriculum written? I'm like, hey, it's, it's in my head. I just need to put it. It's okay. Yeah, so it was, uh, and she tried to talk me out of it. And thank God I didn't let her, uh, which is rare because usually when she says something, she's right. Um, and that was really kind of like the beginning of the end. Well, the beginning of the end, but it was kind of like the next chapter was taking it online. And we were lucky in a sense that we had, uh, a few semesters under our belt and a few courses under our belt uh, before the COVID sort of thing pushed, pushed everyone online. So 
we've been kind of um, figuring out that world for a little bit prior to it forcing everyone's hand. So yeah, that's really like the long and short story of like the prescript inception. It really was just me and Jenta trying to figure out how to eat hot food on a week to week basis. And uh, it sort of just one thing into the next, into the next, into the next. Yeah, that's quite the effect where it just compounded. Um, rewind a bit. You would go to compete in a powerlifting meet and run a seminar as well. Yeah. Like, yeah. would you run the seminar and then lift? Or did you set it up after you lift? Because I don't know if either is effective, if either is good, personally, for me. Uh, both. Uh, so the first year was, uh, first year was tough because I was competing in, um, like, I would compete in the 110 kilo class. Mm-hmm. Um, which for me is a bit of a weight cut and traveling internationally in economy with a layover in New Zealand uh, and having to lose, I don't know, 25 to 30 pounds in a matter of a few days. The first one I did was in a gym called PTC South Melbourne. So it was in the city of Melbourne and it was Thursday and I competed on Saturday. Um, so it was nice because it was four hours in that time span where uh, I didn't think about food. Um, so that was kind of a benefit. And the year after, the year after was actually a nightmare. I tore my pec in my last bench session, uh, two weeks out from the meet. And the weekend after I tore my pec, I had a deadlift in the animal cage in Columbus. And then I had to fly out to Australia and do nine seminars with a meet in between. So the, the progression was tear pec next Saturday, fly to Columbus try and deadlift if it's going to fully rupture it'll rupture there and i'll have to i'll just get it fixed and not go to australia uh, if it doesn't rupture then i'll go to australia and do deadlift only so that was my plan so I go to the cage uh pulled I, I think i stopped at like 675 i was like okay it's still attached if i fly to australia and pull somewhere near this i'll be happy i can't cancel all the seminars so then flew from columbus to sydney i did a seminar in sydney and then i did actually i did two seminars in sydney I flew to uh, Sunshine Coast, did a seminar in Sunshine Coast, did a seminar in Brisbane and Gold Coast, flew to Melbourne, competed, did another seminar or another two seminars in Melbourne. And then I flew to Adelaide, did a seminar in Adelaide, flew to Perth, did a seminar in Perth and then left. Um, so it was kind of smacked down right in the middle. And I remember I was at Sebastian's gym, uh, Sebastian Orb's base gym, his old one in North Sydney before he moved out to uh Merrickville where he's at now and someone brought up something about like a modality that I didn't care for maybe it was like putting heavy steel objects on your body or some nonsensical shit like that and I remember like I had a piece of chalk in my hand and I fucking threw it at the guy who asked me the question with my right hand with my torn pack I'm like oh I'm not gonna be okay for a long time so I had to like put my hand in my pocket the rest of the seminar and I just had this bruise forming. Like I was black from my wrist to my pelvis. And I was like, I, I shouldn't be doing this. 675 like, won't do it. But the heavy chalk, that was the... High velocity. High velocity. It was coming in hot off the mound. I was, that thing was flying. Man, that's wild. Go, going from place to place and, and, and teaching. And, and I've been in those situations similar, minus the 675 tug. Um, but, but going from place to place and, and traveling and teaching, you must have picked up or learned a few things. Or was there any scenarios where you're like, not doing that again? Yeah, I would, I would attribute the majority of stuff I teach to the ability to just share experiences with so many people. Um, and it's everywhere. If you, if you look for it, there's always something to see. Like I was lucky enough to learn how to powerlift from Dan Green. 
which you want to talk about accelerating a learning curve. Man, I just found out, I heard you talking the other day on Steph's podcast. He was a cheerleader? Dan was a cheerleader. Dan and Ben Pakulski were both male cheerleaders. I did not know that about Ben either. Oh, yeah, use that. But you can't because he's a behemoth, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. It's, it's almost like the equivalent of like a, an adolescent male picking up gymnastics, essentially, right? Yeah. And the gymnastics are just scaled to an external load that happens to be the size and shape of a female. Like if you if you can hold up a human being with one hand, you know, like again, a bench press is a layup. Like that's a joke. Um, but yeah, no, I've been able to like out of the gate learn how to powerlift from like arguably one of the greatest powerlifters of all time, and not just a great powerlifter, a great powerlifting coach, right? I think a lot of people, you know, they can get lost in Dan's accolades as a lifter. Uh, you know, innumerable world records, ridiculous weight cuts and ridiculous physique to boot. I think Dan is really responsible for the emergence of raw powerlifting and really the emergence of powerlifting in general. If you're to look back at sort of the history on paper of where powerlifting was to where it is today, you know, everyone can remember watching Dan lift at backyard meets at Sacramento at Mark Bell's gym and just go, this is a different game. Um, but he would take people off the street in the Silicon Valley, you know, uh, roughly speaking, and turn them into world champions. Like Emily, who is an unassuming tech mogul in the Silicon Valley. And he took this 120 pound girl and, you know, got her to bench world record numbers, you know, hundred and or little shy of 300 pounds at a hundred or little shy of 300 pound bench at, at a uh, 113 pound body weight. So his ability to not only execute, but to coach and then to learn from someone who's so good at both that right out of the gate set like me on a, you know, an accelerated trajectory. And then not to mention uh, if you're into the powerlifting world, you know, training with on a weekly basis, Andrew Herbert, Dan Green, Christy Hawkins, Emily, who I remember routinely getting out of the weight room at Stanford on a Friday night, driving to boss barbell and being the only lifter there that didn't have like double digit world records or a world record. So we would literally for the Friday night deadlift crew would be Dan Green, Andrew Herbert, Christy Hawkins, Emily Hu, and me. So like, oh my God. More so. I mean, I learned more on those Friday nights than I did in, you know, four years of grad school leading into it. And then, then you get to go to these meets and you, you know, I remember my second meet was Reebok record breakers and my head judge was Ed Cohn. <laughs> Excuse me. That's like, your first NHL game, Wainers dropping the puck. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Um, and then obviously being able to work with Ben and and just 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 being able to work with different bodies and see different people move and hear how different people like no one purposely tries to hurt anyone, right? Mm -hmm. There's not these like Machiavellian coaches that are oh I'm gonna do this and hurt everyone. It's like no, everyone. So it's like all right, there has to be something that I'm missing. And if you if you're open minded. And you can just kind of get this breadth of context. It's uh, it really kind of opens your eyes uh, to what's possible. So I would attribute that almost more so than anything else to like my knowledge base is just being able to, you know, and here, like I'm sitting at Steph's desk, like one of my best friends is like 20. Ah, 25. I don't think she's here. So stupid amount of world records. Like it's dumb. So it's, yeah. And I think that's in, you know, and it is an imperfect science, right? So a lot of the, I know if, I don't, I don't know how many like doctors I know, but I'll tell you what, they're way more, they're way more few and far between people who have broken world records and strength for it. So that's where you're headed and that's where you want people to head. That's where you got to be around. So 
Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head, man. Environment is everything. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you see it in, in, in all places. So in my realm, working with personal training, environment is even the size of the plate at the buffet, right? They're small plates, you're going to eat less. They're big plates, you're going to eat a lot. Working in good life, you only go so far in certain areas. The beauty of today's technology is that, you know, you can have these conversations. You can message Ed Cohen on Instagram. He'll message you back, right? Crazy. You and I are having this conversation. You know, 10, 10 years ago, this wasn't plausible. And I think our industry has a lot of people who actually like to share. Sometimes I think people get, you know, dogmatic about certain approaches, but the reality is everyone's addicted to the bar. Everyone's addicted to lifting weights. We wouldn't be in this industry if we weren't. We'd be, you know, in the lab doing the research or uh, the, the nerds, right? As you, as you say, sometimes there's, there's a difference between the two. Yeah. And um, I, I really like your approach, how you always say, hey, this is science and it matters. But at the end of the day, you still got to lift a bar. You still got to put some time in, in the gym. Yeah, it's, it, that, that's a really good point. Like the accessibility. Like if I was a kid growing up playing football, right, I couldn't just DM Terrell Owens. I'd be like, yo, T, I'm a little bit slow off the start, man. What do you think? Like, I don't know. His publicist will be like, go buy Terrell Owens merchandise at TerrellOwens.com or some shit. And that's if his DMs are managed at all, where it's like, yeah, you can be, you'd be very surprised how in our industry that like the, the accessibility to the best in the world, they're right there. They don't, they're not, they're not, not that they're not doing anything, but they give a shit enough to know that like, yeah, no, for sure. If I can help you out, like they'll definitely help you out. Yeah. I, I, um, I worked with CFL guys there for a while. I used to do uh, some training and some fascial stretch work with them. And I worked with one guy, one uh, 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 an MVP or MOP uh, a couple of times. He was a good player and he was just one of the most down to earth guys. So I've never played football, but I'd be working on him and he'd ask me my thoughts on this play. And I'm like, man, like, I don't, I don't play football. He's like, yeah, but just imagine you're here and this is happening. Like, what would you do? I'm like, well, like I, I don't play football. I'd probably either get hit or drop a ball. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he was super realistic. And then like at the end of the session, sometimes he'd be like, Oh, um, can you drive me to the bank and, and I'll get some money to pay you? I'm like, um, Sure, I guess, right? And uh, says he would just be like, oh, "It's hot. I'm just gonna stay in my in my in my boxers." Okay, whatever. Like just normal, you know, like normal guy stuff, right? Yeah. The difference is, you know, his his paycheck trumps my life. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's pretty cool stuff, man. The environment matters. I think it is. Uh, it, it carries over so much, not into just training, but as well as into learning as well. Um, you know, like financial advisors, they they always know you know, the latest investment, right? What people should invest in. And then you look at uh, like new parents, they're the first people to tell you, this is now how you swaddle. And then personal trainers, for some mysterious reason, they always have the, the latest research, the newest thing that's going to get you jacked and tanned. I feel like in today's world, with so much information, we're bombarded with experts. Everyone's an expert. I guess my question is, where do you see the difference between like, what is an expert? What's not an expert? Who should we be following? What advice should we be looking for? You know, at the end of it, like I said before, it's like, I don't think anyone's really out to hurt anyone. So like the free market, I think does a half decent job at weeding out who's good and who's bad to a certain degree. But it's really like, it just comes down to your core values. Like at the end of the day, like if I'm going to hire someone to do a job, if I do a good enough vetting process or they come I'd like they come well recommended, do I like the person? 
do I get along with them? Like, can I sit in a room and chat with them for 20 minutes? Like, regardless, I've, we're, we're building out some stuff, some office space in, in Toronto at the moment. And I'm hiring uh, an interior decorator. It's like, fuck, if I do a thing about interior decorating, it's like, hey, can you take the time to just sit and chat? So it's really, it's just, kind of, I don't know, find, find your flavor, man. Like, it don't, people do stuff and, like, they get mad over other people that do stuff. And there's, like, weird infighting sometimes about like oh no our principal says it and is it eh, cool that's great awesome i think be this because of this so it's like if you're looking for like an expert you know there's nothing new under the sun it's it's really just comes down to do you like the person enough to adhere and see through to follow through with the what they think and i honestly think that's it like it's such an exhausting world of like Look, not everyone has to like everyone. I think everyone should respect everyone. But it's like when, you know, especially it's such a weird revenge of the nerd, like because academics are now being very decentralized, right? And, you know, which is great for someone who owns an education platform, like the the needingness of people to go. And I see this in the Silicon Valley, like a lot of the patients I had when I first started in a corporate setting. It's like, oh, how'd you get your job? I hacked the Apple mainframe. I was like, excuse me, what? You didn't go to MIT? Nope. Nope. I just, I hacked the mainframe and, and froze the Apple store for like, I held it hostage for 24 hours. I was like, what does that mean? He's like, I don't know, but they were sure impressed when I did it. So they gave me a job. And I was like, all right, so you have no formal education. Like, nope. But I, I did a thing that no one else here could do. And now I make sure it can't get happen. Like it can't happen again. So like in fitness, it's kind of the same way. Like people come in with different backgrounds, like, and different experience and like i honestly think with when it comes to the majority of people's fitness goals it really is just like yo who do you and not to be too candid but who do you fuck with right like who do you fuck with who do you like do you like the kid some people like i'd say shit like this and people don't like me and that's fine and then there's a numerable amount of other people like if you like someone's core values and you know they've made it their business to do this i don't think anyone's attempting to rip anyone off if it's not the product wasn't what you thought it was or the service wasn't what that's Okay, that's kind of on you. But I think if you should probably just appraise someone for their core values and not necessarily like their thought process, because honestly, if you're making a business doing it, you're probably getting results somehow. Like the free market, again, I think sorts you out. So I think you'll be way better off trying to just go with a ethos or a person or an expert that you like, because at the very least, you're going to know like, all right, uh, if I have an issue with this, um, this person, or values are going to align with mine and we hopefully can sort things out that way. So that's kind of where my stance on it. And that's, that's definitely evolved over time, right? That's not something that I, if you asked me that question five years ago, I may have been like, well, you know, you should see what they've done as a coach or see what they've done as a, who they've coached and have this kind of elaborate sort of objective answer where now I just kind of realize like, yeah, we're all trying to just do some good and be of service. And some people are at different skill sets from a technical standpoint, but I don't know, man, like you like the person, would you have them over for dinner? Would you chop it up in between sets? Great. That's your, that's your person. I think that's a good point because when you, when you hire someone to get you stronger, fitter, thinner, whatever it is, you're going to be talking to them. You're going to be around them for sometimes like in the PT world, three, four hours a week. You know, I see some clients and then, you know, at the end of a month, I've sometimes spent more time with them than I have with certain family members. So if you're not going to like, like someone, you don't jive with them. It doesn't matter what else. 
Yeah, it's better to execute on like 100% of a program of like, let's say, hypothetically 70% validity, right, than, than to not execute on a program of 100% validity, right? So it's, I think whoever can get the most out of you, and it's really just a core values thing. And that's tough, man, because like a lot of people, when you press them on that, it's like, like they don't know what their core values are um, and on both sides of the coin, like from the, from the service provider to the client. A lot of people aren't really kind of in tune with their um, with their core values and make decisions that might deviate from it, whether they like or whether they are aware of it or not. So I think if you do that, you've never made the you never made the wrong decision if that's what guides your decision making process. What's some of your core values? Uh, service above all else. Service, loyalty, honesty. That's kind of my big thing. I think the meaning of life is to be of service. I think we're here for uh, a good time, not a long time. So I definitely put service above all else. So if I'm looking to make a decision for someone, I want to know that they thoughtlessly make decisions for other people. So that's definitely, for me, that's if I see some act of like thoughtlessness or that comes with, um, with the way someone acts and they just go out and just do a damn thing, that's, that's my people. Those are my people. It's got to be hard, though, in your position sometimes when people hire you and you, you recognize quickly that their values are not the same as yours. I'm sure you get some executives or you get some athletes when they might be very selfish, when you were more of like client centric. You find yeah, that- it's, it's tough. Uh, it, it's, it becomes an easier conversation to have the more you can afford to sort of set out exclusion criteria, mm-hmm. right? Like starting off. And I recommend this to, to everyone out of the gate. It's like, say yes to everyone Yeah. as, as a coach, because over time you're going to find out who you want to say no to. And you're going to see the warning signs out of the gate. You're like, Oh God, like this guy texts me at like 1130 at night. Like, ah, oh, well, this is going to be a headache. Right. Yeah. Your eyes open up. Cause you probably think of like seven clients who've had in the past that did that. Well, was, Where, you were mentioning Dan Green earlier. I, how I heard of Dan Green was someone said, I want to do deficit deadlifts. And I said, well, why? And they said, Dan Green does them. I said, who the hell's Dan Green? Grabbed the phone and took a look. And I'm like, shit, I'm doing deficits next week myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, um, yeah, I would just, I honestly, it's my train of thought totally left the station. (laughs) We were just talking about like um, clients who might call you and you realize you just mingle with them. Yeah. I mean, say yes to everyone. I honestly, I think the more attrition you have in dealing in those situations where you maybe don't want to work with a client and we all know like client walks in and the clock starts magically going backwards. You're like, Oh my God, time is just a vacuum. This is, I'm going to die. I don't remember a time that I wasn't with this client. I've been with this client for eternity. I don't know what my life was like before this client walked in the gym. Like just, the, honestly, I think the more you can stick it out in those kinds of situations, the better off you'll be when you can finally say like, hey, man, I don't really know if it's a good fit. Um, and if you can provide value to those people in the times when you don't want to, when you when you find the people that click with you, um, then it's an easier conversation and it's a better service. It's a better product. Uh, I just think a lot of people are too quick to maybe push aside potential learning opportunities and be like, ah, this person's not really like, look, man, you got to earn your stripes around here. Like, no, you can't just, you know, you've been in the game for five man. I remember you back in the day with good life. Like, who is this guy? Who's this, who's this like 
level i think it was like maybe five or like five at the time was like a new territory and it was just the fudge level <laughs> it was just like but like you know you can't it takes it takes time it takes attrition to be at that and to earn that and i think the the the, the older i get and like sort of the, the younger generation as they come up it's like you, you guys gotta put your reps in like you gotta sit through yeah. those eternal hours up with the client and then yeah you know at the end of the day like you, maybe you, you, you set up a good business and you can kind of do your thing or you you work with some athletes and that's that's like the, that promised land is not promised to you you gotta fuck it you gotta do the shawshank 200 meter army crawl through shit clients forever to come out to that sandy beach on the other side but now it's an easy conversation because it's like all right yeah no hey man um I just, I just, I'm, I'm not full at the moment, so I'm sorry. I, I can't, I can't take you on, but uh, early stages, I think people, people like seek out comfort in like a lifestyle that comes with what personal training can afford you. Right. Like, as you know, um, but they don't really see the cost paid for that comfort. Like you've had conversations where you're like, I want to put an ice pick through my brain. This is the longest hour or this client's check-in should be a leather bound book. This is the longest email that ever existed. And, but now it's to the point where, you know, you earned that, that expediency, you earn that and you, you, you get back what you put out there. Right. So I think over time it really starts to calibrate and, and lend itself to be something that's much more sustainable. Yeah. I think you need to build the ability to say no. So you have to build your business first before you can say no. Right. Yeah. And then, um, you know, for newer trainers right now that are, you know, probably listening to this because Good Life does listen to a lot of these a lot. Um, and they're looking to get some education. You guys have flipped a bunch of your stuff online now. I took the barbell course, hence I'm repping the barbell shirt. Hey. Yeah. But you've guys got a few other courses on the go right now. Do you want to just do your quick elevator uh, pitch on each one? Right. Uh, so, yeah, the flagship course is a prescript level one. That's uh, next iteration is going to be going up in late March. We're 10 weeks into this semester. Uh, that's uh, functional anatomy applied biomechanics. So that's kind of your really your core competencies and understanding kind of how the body organizes itself. Um, centered around like shoulder, hip, and spine. The level two is centered around like rib cage and pelvis. Um, so that's kind of the the all encompassing. That's where I push most people if they're uncertain of where to start. Uh, we have the prescript barbell is going into week four of six this week so that'll be up all around mid-march or mid to late march we'll likely start up the next semesters of our courses uh, so that's a six-week course um dedicated around squat bench and deadlift uh exercise execution uh, variation optimization adaptation progression regression all around the big three movements so we kind of go in order squat bench and dead um and that's kind of a hybrid course where we have a lot of our teaching materials as pre-recorded content that you have access to forever. And then we have a weekly live lecture and just this semester we've added actually a weekly interactive lab component. So that course ends up being, uh, I think we have 20 plus hours recorded content plus six hours of labs plus six hours of lectures. So that course works out to be about 35 hours on the big three movement. So it's pretty in depth. Mm -hmm. um, and then we have Killian's uh, just launched our skill acquisition course. So skill acquisition model is sort of like a like a training meta theory that allows you to like categorize your thought process around exercise programming. So it's not really a programming course per se, but it kind of goes over like here are the guiding principles of how it is you organize exercise to like uh, attain mastery in certain skills. Um, so Killian kind of breaks down the three stages of skill acquisition 
and how we can, how we learn how to learn, which I think is people who are ultimately teachers. And if you're a personal trainer, you're definitely that. Knowing that skill of learning is super important, how people learn. Um, Prescript weightlifting, fully automated, take at your own pace course. That was one uh, that Jordan Junta has put together. That's up on the site and that runs whenever you want to start and finishes whenever you want to complete it. Um, And coming up in March as well as the level two, that'll be pertinent to coaches who have gone through the level one. Um, So that's really going to be our course calendar moving through the rest of 2021. Yep, we're in 21 now. Um, with some stuff <laughs> with some stuff coming in 2022 um so yeah those are those are all the courses we offer uh, we roll the level one on a on like a quarterly basis we run um the barbell and uh the skill acquisition on sort of a uh like a bi-monthly basis and then we run the weightlifting course is always ready to go at your leisure uh on prescript or pre-script.com so that's kind of a, a take it at your own pace course Good stuff. And are you going to get on the platform this year? Is that a possibility? Or you you putting the tie on and, and sitting in the office running the courses for a bit? We'll, we'll see. Stu actually just messaged me last night about a meet in Quebec in November. Oui. Uh, yes, that's all I got. Um, so I'm trying to get back under the bar. Obviously, back on the road. Uh, this travel here was a little bit unplanned, but uh, hopefully we'll be back in Toronto in the next couple of weeks and not that training is going bad here, but travel comes with it a certain level of uh, unforeseen variables. So I'd like to, it's fun just to lift heavy with your friends, but um, we'll see. Well, I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want to make any promises. I'm not going to follow through on. Okay. I respect that. Um, I'll do a couple of quick little uh, rapid fire ones here, and then we'll let you get back to your sunshine over there as I go outside and shovel second time today. Um I, I know you like to read. You're, you're a big read guy. I've heard you and Killian talk and I've heard you on your podcast a lot. Um, one or two books that you, that, that have changed you or affected you the most in your life growing up. Right. Uh, if this is a man by Primo Levy, uh, it's a pretty dark read. I, I probably talk about it every single time someone asks me about books. Uh, it's the firsthand account of Primo Levy's experience in uh, like Dachau, like, um, like an Auschwitz prison camp from 1942 to 1943. Uh, that's, you want to like a heavy punch in the face of perspective of how good your life is. Read that book and never fucking complain yeah, again. During COVID. Yeah. Now that's, uh, it was yeah. all of a sudden you look around, you're like, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, that's a really, I, I enjoyed that one for that reason. And, uh, recently I had a friend of mine, uh, he owns a gym in Gainesville, Florida. His name's John Hollier. He recommended, um, Walden, um, by George Thoreau, I think that's, yeah. It was Walden by George Thoreau. It talks about um, George Thoreau uh, spending two years, it's like a summarized uh, two-year almost memoir of like George Thoreau's time living on like this this Walden Lake in Massachusetts. And he kind of sums up like, I don't know, it's, just, it's a really interesting introspective read. Uh, I honestly don't even know what to do with it. One of the lines that always sticks out from the book is um, the mass of men lead the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. So it's really like a, it's kind of a call to action or like a subtle call to action of like, you know, you don't have that much time to do the shit you want to do. That, that's always a quote that stuck with me from that book. And I've just started I've just read it a few times the last couple months. So, yeah, I'd say Walden and, and this is a man are probably like my top two. 
That's nice stuff. I'll put that in the show notes there for anyone listening. Um, what was your last Google search? What do you think was your last Google search? Mine, uh, mine was Bernie Sanders mittens, just so just so you know. Was it? Uh, I think mine was uh, something to do with like the Levator Costorum or something like that. Some anatomy bullshit. One of us more time on their hand than that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just lastly, man, Super Bowl's coming around and we've got new blood and we've got uh, old blood. Who you got winning? Who do you want to win? Uh, so if I'm to understand, and I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, but Brady's made another crack at it with a new team. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, like. Again, challenging all the books. I, you, you don't bet against the house, man. Like the guy, love him or hate him, he might sit when he pees, but fucking guy is is dangerous in the clutch. So uh, you can't fight fate. I, I think it's Brady with a landslide. I it just And there's more to it than that. Like I think there's the athleticism that that guy possesses, the control he possesses. Again, hate it, love it, whatever. Uh, his fucking ex-coach Belichick or whatever it's he's has to be arguably and this will I think solidify it the best of all time I I wouldn't bet against him if I was a betting man yeah I'd like to see him when he's an underdog right now since Vegas but I mean sometimes that's yeah. that's only goes so far right age only goes so far I mean you gotta look at heart and you gotta look at career as well yeah he's um, a perennial killer man I wouldn't bet against him just last one here one thing that is certain, the sun rises and the sun sets. And at some point in time in our lives and your life, the sun will set. Someone's going to write a book on you, the muscle doc book. What does that right. final chapter look like? When someone says, uh, hey, he did this, he did this in his life. What do you hope it says? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if I'm really prepared to answer that. I mean, I'm stubborn. So maybe like something to the effect of like never compromising something along that of like, I don't care what I do as long as I don't compromise. And I don't mean like with your significant other, like, you know, fuck you were watching Rambo for the 30th time. I mean like compromise. On your my life. wife. I'm like, yo, Jordan said, don't compromise. Yeah. Put on don't, Rambo. Com <laughs> don't, don't compromise your values or yourself. I think hopefully I, I tried to make as many, I had a conversation with Dave Tate mm, two years ago and I was a, I did a podcast with him. I said three words and he talked for three hours and we spent another three hours after. And during the podcast, he started to cry and I started to cry. And it was just, he literally made me after, and I'm, I'm tearing up just thinking about it. He made me write down my like 10 core values and I still have it in a notebook back home. And he's like, I don't make a decision. And dude, the guy has like hundreds and hundreds of notebooks. And in every single notebook, he has these 10 core values. And it's like, I don't make a decision outside of this. And I don't, I don't waver ever outside of this. And that's like, that's, that's it. So when, when I say uncompromising, you know, Hey, we're ran out of chicken is fish at the wedding. Okay. Like don't fucking put your foot down. But I think like, you know, being uncom uncompromising in your values, I think would be, if there was a final chapter, I think that would hopefully be what it, what it read. I like it. It's a license for life, right? When you got your core values. I think so. Well put. Awesome. Well, um, one of my favorite parts today was finding out you were almost a WWE wrestler. But besides that, everything else was was quite nice. And I appreciate you taking the time um, to sit down and have a chat with me. So thank you very much, Jordan. And I will leave you with stay positive in life and negative in COVID. I'll take it. I'll take it all the way to the bank or the Walgreens where I have to get my <laughs> test next week to come home. Awesome. Thanks, buddy.
Cheers, man. Never stop learning because life never stops teaching. If you've learned at least one thing from this podcast and your mission is to help other people, please share this podcast with them. And a reminder, we will be releasing one episode every Monday for the entire year. So make sure to hit subscribe so you get the updated information as soon as possible. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And thank you so much for allowing me to be part of it.